And let's be clear, we exist only as a Great Commission people. We exist in order that sinners will hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe and be saved from all the nations. The marching orders of the Church of Jesus Christ were to go into all the world and preach the gospel because the gospel has the power unto salvation. This is what it means to follow Christ. A call to live, a call to die, a call to spend your life for Jesus here and around the world until he returns. Welcome to Amazon to the Himalayas. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. This season of the podcast, we've been focusing on missions in challenging and unique places. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking with a couple of missionaries who are serving in South Asia. One of these missionaries, Ray, is a recent graduate from Boyce College, the college here at Southern Seminary. And he's currently serving as a Project 3000 Explorer with the International Mission Board. Project 3000 is a new initiative that the IMB has recently launched, and I'm excited for us to hear more about it on this episode. Joining Ray today is his supervisor, Will. Will and his family have been serving in South Asia for almost 12 years. They currently co-lead the Project 3000 team in South Asia, and they lead initiatives for leadership development. Will, who is also a friend of mine, is also a graduate of Southern Seminary. And I've been looking forward to this conversation for some time. Ray and Will, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Ekin. That's good to join you. All right, guys, we're going to start with Will. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Project 3000? What is it? What is the goal? What is this new initiative that the IMB has started? Yeah, Dr. Ekin, love to tell more about it. This is a, a focused initiative that the International Mission Board, the IMB, has to try to explore and engage the remaining 3,072 unengaged, unreached people groups, right? 3,072. These are people groups that most likely have no access to the gospel because of maybe their geographic location, their resistance to outsiders, or they're just hiding in plain sight and people miss them. There's no missionary presence among them, or we have no information, right? Because they're hidden, because their locations, whatever it may be, we just don't know anything about them. And so what we're doing is, is that with the IMB is we want to send out 300 kind of young adult, go-getter, push-the-edge missionaries over the next five years. And each of these P3000 explorers, they get a list of UEPGs, uh, targets, if you will, and they're going to spend time out researching them. First of all, trying to find them, asking questions. Hey, do you know where this people group is? Do you know anything about this people group? And as they go out and research them, find them. They're going to capture data and give it back to our team leaders on the ground so they can develop more strategies to go out. And at the same time, while they're there, they're going to share Jesus. Maybe for the first time since the Great Commission was given, this people group may hear the gospel because of our P3000 explorers. Okay. So you you mentioned that you're there in, in South Asia. You mentioned the number of over 3,000 unreached, unengaged. Any idea how many of those people groups would be maybe in your region and your part of the world and there in South Asia? Sure. So 3,072 is our worldwide target. Currently in South Asia, there are 986 unengaged, unreached people groups. So approximately a third of all the world's unengaged people groups are here in South Asia. Okay. Wow. So so close to around a thousand of those people groups are there in South Asia. I want to jump over to, to Ray. So Ray, I mentioned in the introduction that you're a recent graduate of Boyce College, but now you're living there in South Asia. 
What led you to consider this role and this opportunity? To talk about that, look back quickly to uh, 2019, the summer. Actually, a very close friend of mine, uh, we were having some serious doubts about his faith, and he uh, came to me with these questions and uh, things like, how's it fair for people who never hear the gospel to go to hell? And our faith that we, we follow, we only do we only believe it because it's what we've always been taught? Uh, or is, mm. you know, is it actually true or not? Which actually really pushed me in my faith. You know, I was kind of just cruising, working uh, full-time in Louisville, not really taking many classes. And uh, the Lord used that to really convict me. And one thing just very clearly laid on my heart then was to uh, go to the other most places where no one's currently going and mm. possibly no one's ever been. And so was something I began praying and Fast forward three years of uh, me working to finish my degree and spending some time overseas and short trips. I had a job actually reserved for me, but last fall when I made it to an uh, interview conference, I heard about P3K and I began tears. Uh, I had to hold back tears as uh, wow. I knew I couldn't take this other job where I had some folks uh, I loved and hoped to go spend time with. But I heard my exact prayers uh, repeated back to me in this job description and and knew this is what the the Lord had called me to do. Hmm. Amen. I appreciate you sharing that. And it's it's encouraging to kind of hear the way the Lord has kind of captured your heart for those who have little to no access to the gospel. I, I want to jump back to, to, to Will. We're going to hear some more from Ray in a moment. But Will, you, you mentioned South Asia. I would love for our listeners just to kind of get maybe a little bit more of an overview of, of what you're talking about when you talk about South Asia. Tell us more about the context, the people, the environment, the landscape, the culture, uh, yeah, just give us kind of a quick overview of South Asia. Sure. We When we talk about South Asia, we're talking about seven countries, India being kind of the majority, and then our surrounding countries of Pakistan, Nepal, Bhutan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, and the Maldives Islands. And so South Asia is the birthplace of Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, and Jainism. You know, in fact, if you look at the numbers, a third of the world's Muslims are living in South Asia. Over 600 million of them are still here. And so with 1.8 billion people living from the you know, the three highest mountains in the world of the Himalayas all the way down through the plains of the Ganges River into the coastal areas of, of the southern part, 2,000 different languages, so many different cultures and people groups, and so much variety that I've heard it said once, whatever you can say is true about South Asia, the opposite is also just in the religions and the people and the cultures and the villages to the urban centers. And so... One thing I like to point out, though, is is amongst you know amidst the 1.8 billion people, the lostness that's there, about two percent evangelical uh, is what we've seen in South Asia as a whole, which translates Paul to 32 million believers. And so the Lord has done a great work in South Asia mm. over the last 2,000 years of of men and women of different organizations faithful to serve to sow the local seed to see. South Asian believers take ownership of the task. And so when we look at 32 million believers, we see 32 million potential co-workers that we want to equip and encourage. And so they'll take ownership of, of reaching this uh, beautiful area for themselves and the local churches as well. Mm, that's great. I appreciate you sharing that. And yeah, I think you're exactly right. Like 1.8 billion, like that's just hard for us to even fathom how many people that is. I mean, many of our listeners are here in North America. I know in America, we have somewhere between 320 and 340 million people in our country. And we think that's a lot of people. 
1.8 billion is just is hard to even fathom. And so yeah, I think it makes sense when you start putting that into context. Some of these people groups that are just scattered across the land there, hard to reach, little to no access to the gospel. It makes me encouraged to, to think that there's this new initiative that's been launched by the IMB. I want to jump back over to, to Ray. Ray, when you think about your experience, you, you've been now on the field for a little while. When you look back on kind of all that you've done, what would you say has been the biggest surprise to you up to this point? I would say one of the biggest surprises uh, has been the weightiness of the spiritual warfare. I've experienced a bit in the States and on other short-term trips, but being here, one particular story that really stands out was uh, visiting a, a Sufi mosque with a national partner for some prayer walking. Walking in there immediately felt like I stepped back into the first century. Just uh, people in chains, even cutting themselves, just groaning out, very strong spiritual oppression, just so sad and just uh, immediately met with a presence of like opposition. But it's not always in your face like that, something, you know, crazy, but it's the thing that really takes a toe is the everyday, just being in an area where there's just open idolatry everywhere, uh, worshiping of idols and just uh, over time of being in an environment where you just feel this opposition and uh, to the work as it starts to weigh you down, take a toe on you over time being here. Yeah. So obviously the the spiritual warfare that you've seen has been a little bit of a shock and a surprise to you. When you think about your work and you think about some of the challenges, some of the hurdles, some of the difficulties, what, what are some of the, the big challenges that come to mind? Obviously the work that you're doing is difficult. You're trying to go out and identify, locate, maintain, or sustain a presence among these different peoples and places. What are some of the biggest challenges that you've encountered in your work? One of the biggest challenges has just been the fact of being so many people hiding in plain sight. A lot of times there's people just right there in a, in a major city, but how do you find them when you have you know, a country with so many, uh, you know, over a billion people? But also with these uh, people group names, like with the, uh, the Buddhists and Hindu groups, these are also their caste names. And so it can be very offensive to uh, ask directly about those as uh, lower caste people are very looked down upon and judged in, um, in society. And, uh, and so it can, uh, it's almost like using a racial slur to, to bring up caste name. But it's also the people group name. And so it's just a matter of asking, you know, the right questions, you know, asking for heart language, asking, um, you know, for if they have an occupation in this people group asking those questions. And then once you find that group, actually confirming, you know, no one's the right opportunity after you talk to that person to bring up that cast name, that people group name to uh, to actually confirm this is the right group that you've found. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're in one way, you know, you're in an area that has a thousand unreached, unengaged people groups, and you're trying to go and identify and locate and find them. And, and that obviously can be a big challenge. You know, Will, uh, Ray mentioned something about caste. I know whenever we talk about South Asia, that that caste is part of the culture there. Can you just, for our listeners, can you kind of explain, kind of give a brief overview of what is the caste system and kind of how does that function in South Asian culture? Yeah, the caste system has been present for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Uh, technically, it's it doesn't exist uh, officially, but practically, what you see is um, as over time, different groups of people set themselves up over or under others. Uh, a lot of it was done, I think, personally for power and control. 
as different uh, groups came into South Asia and, and began setting up their own kingdoms and putting people above and below them. And so over time, that's been developed into this, what we call the caste system. And so there's high caste, mid caste, low caste. They have different names depending on where you go and looking at the different religions. But primarily in Hinduism, for instance, the goal would be to reincarnate it up the caste system until you would reach the highest caste. And then eventually you would reach their heaven, their nirvana. And so typically between caste systems, there's barriers. So the gospel doesn't cross up or down. Uh, certain caste people are not allowed in the homes of other castes. Uh, maybe you wouldn't have cross-caste marriages. And so it's changing as, as South Asia modernizes. You begin to see a little bit more of this mixing. But you go to Indi, uh, any of the India films and you watch, you know, one of the great love stories is the, the Romeo and Juliet, you know, the West Side stories. It's the same in India. The, the man and the woman want to get married, but their caste is different. And so they, that's the drama of the show. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, Will, I've I've been to South Asia multiple times. I've been there in country with even with you, and I've seen the way that you kind of love what you do and the role that you get to play there. I, I would love for you just to answer this question. What is it about South Asia that makes this place so special to you? I really think what makes it so special is just the people. There are challenging times, as as Ray mentioned, and there are hardships and struggles and, and anywhere in the world. But for me, it's the, when I've seen the national, our brothers and sisters in Christ take ownership of the missionary tasks, they understand from scripture, I can share with my family members and my cowork, my neighbors or my, or my, you know, classmates. And then they learn a, a gospel tool and they go and do that. And then they come back and they say, Hey, I shared. And they, they listened to me and they didn't beat me up, you know? And, and then you start seeing them take more and more ownership. Like my friend, I uh, will call him Charlie. When he first started, he was just learning. And then over time of, of being mentored and discipled and trained by many from the IMB, he is now uh, leading a network of 400 churches. And so they're crossing cultures to try to take the gospel to Hindus, Buddhists, and Muslims. They're also, not only that, they're raising up pastors and elders and providing them with doctrinal training. And so to see kind of the progression of how he's taking ownership of the task. Uh, I think that's what makes it so special. And that's what gives us hope that we will see a day where there will be no place left in South Asia, right? Because mm -hmm. the local, our national brothers and sisters are going to take ownership of it. Reaching a specific people group with the gospel demands specialized training and a global vision. Southern Seminary supports these ministry goals through theological education that is trusted for truth. A degree in missiology from Southern Seminary provides students with the biblical foundation and theological training necessary to take the gospel into all the world. The program prepares graduates to serve as missionaries, church planters, and ministry leaders anywhere in the world. To learn more about Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, and doctoral degrees available through the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary, go to sbts.edu bgs or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click the link to the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. There you'll learn how listeners to this podcast can save $40 when applying for classes. The web address again is sbts.edu slash bgs. Ray, you mentioned some of the surprises. You mentioned some of the challenges that you've seen. Can you tell us what life looks like for you? Like, well, what does life look like as you're kind of going out and doing this? Give us a little glimpse into what that looks like for you. Yeah, so a big picture. Generally, we're we're kind of on eight week cycles. We we go on a, like a, a six week outing to find this people group, and then come back for two weeks of uh, rest and reporting, getting ready to go back out for the next one. And uh, while on this outing, it 
look very different day of the day, but generally what we're doing, what we're looking for is uh, there are two things that we got in mind, harvest field, harvest forest. The harvest field being uh, the people group that we're looking for. So going out, finding that group, uh, researching them, asking them questions. You Honestly, anybody can ask, you know, people, things you ask people in America even, but more specifically like marriage customs, what they do for work, how long have they done many generations, even things as simple as what do you do for fun, uh, just confirming who's in this group, you know, are they still a group, but then also sharing the gospel with them using your story and uh, God's story, so your testimony and using an EV tool, evangelism mm. tool, but then also uh, with Harvest Forest, you know, is local churches that might be in a near culture to that people group who uh, you can look to uh, partner with and engage and hope to cast some vision to go reach that group that's uh, just next door to them. That's good. I appreciate you sharing some of that. Ray, I'm going to ask you kind of a pretty direct question. So as you're you're going and you're you're jumping in, you're going on these these outings every couple of weeks, are there ever people who are just really, really suspicious of you, like wondering, like, who are you and what in the world are you doing here? Yes, definitely run into that at times. My STS is uh, I'm a travel blogger. I'm just here learning about the culture and different religions and things that are here. And I have a travel account that I, I keep I keep up with. And so that's kind of my cover. It's what I talk to. But some of the places I go, it's not necessarily touristy areas. That's great. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And obviously, I appreciate you mentioning you going out with national partners. Obviously, a lot of what you're doing is probably through translation having people who can speak local language, local dialect, and some of those kinds of things, I think helps people, you know, who are listening kind of understand how this, how this works and what it looks like. But yeah, you know, what you're doing is quite interesting. I mean, it's not unlike someone from South Asia coming to small town Alabama or small town Texas or small town Nevada. And people in the community are wondering, who are you and what are you doing here? You don't speak our language. You you don't know our culture and why are you here? So I think it's 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 good that you have a reason to be there and a reason that you're able to explain and that you're going and traveling with national partners is wise. I'd love for you to share some of what you've seen the Lord doing. You, you talked about some of the surprises, some of the challenges, but are there any encouraging things that you've seen the Lord do as you've gone out on some of these trips? Yes, really. That's what P3K is about in a sense is just going to see where is the Lord already at work and seeing how we can come alongside that. And uh, on a recent outing, a taxi driver of mine who I met randomly, I had a new national partner flying in. And so I I ended up having to flag a guy down to take me to the airport to pick him up. We ended up using this guy for the next three weeks. And over time, we began to share the gospel with him over and over. And he began to ask questions and um he ended up coming to faith. Come to find out, he shared his people group with us. Is uh, and my national partner had actually it wasn't a is a UUPG that he was a member of that we wasn't looking for them. But my national partner had been praying for them for all a while now, so he got to see the fruit of that. This possibly the first believer from this UUPG coming to faith. So praise the Lord, man. That's awesome. That's that's what you pray for. It's encouraging to hear kind of how all of those things are working together, right? Like we pray. The Lord hears our prayers. He answers those prayers, but then he also opens up doors and opportunities for us to have gospel conversations with those that he brings into our path. And so I appreciate you sharing some of that. Will, I want to come to you and kind of ask a similar question from the kind of the the supervisory perspective and standpoint. You know, 
what have you enjoyed the most from this Project 3000? What are you learning? What are some of the things that you're seeing? That's a great question, Paul. I, uh, I'm not going to lie. When I first was approached about this project, I was quite skeptical. We're going to send young adults with minimal language to go and target people groups that no one's found yet. Like, what are we doing here, people? But the Lord has done a great thing as he's, as I've seen right now, our explorers, every people group that uh, they have been sent after, they've found them, they've researched about them, they've created a people group profile, and they've also shared Jesus among them. And in fact, at least currently, two of our people groups have now been marked engaged as a result of our explorers already. And so we praise God for that. And so I think I, in my own wisdom, would not have thought this was the best strategy, right? But yet when the Lord is at work and people catch his vision and ideas and put it to paper, and the Lord is calling people like Ray and others who already had the heart for that, and he puts that together with national partners who have been trained and equipped by our company people on the ground, and you put that team together and the Lord's working, like, who am I to get in the way? And so mm-hmm. I've been really energized by this. It was the it was the red dots on the you know evangelism map that drew my wife and I to South Asia in the first place. And so it's kind of, for me personally, it's rekindled that fire. Number two, it's great to see the Lord at work. And I'm just really encouraged that who the Lord's raising up from this next generation and, and the work they're going to do and the research they'll do that maybe in the next five or 10 years that we could see at least every unengaged people group in the world, at least having been researched and explored, if not engaged in the gospel shared among them. Mm, Praise the Lord. You know, one of the things that I feel like the Lord taught me when we served overseas was just how big God is and the fact that he's always at work. We don't always see it. We know that God's not a tribal deity or just a, a local God. He's everywhere and he's at work before we arrive. He's at work after we leave. And I think it's cool to hear some of the accounts and stories about how we're seeing him at work in these ways and just appreciate your faithfulness and raise faithfulness to be to be able to say, hey, let's dive in. Let's get our hands dirty. Let's go find these people. And let's see what the Lord's up to. So I appreciate you guys both sharing about your experience so far with this initiative. I want to shift to some lightning round questions, some kind of quicker hitting questions. I want to start with, with Ray. From your perspective, you know, you, you haven't been on the field that long, but from what you've seen and what you've learned, what do you think it takes to be a missionary in an extreme place? Yeah, so you have to have an ultimate desire to has to be to see God glorified among all peoples and all places and uh, have the ability to adapt and overcome, adapt and overcome to an ever-changing environment. That's good. Quick hitter. I appreciate you sharing your wisdom there. I'm, I might come to you real quick. Will, what would, what would you say to that question? What do you think it takes to be a faithful and effective missionary in an extreme or difficult environment? Uh, I'm going to say one, humility, because you realize that it, if it's extreme and hard for a reason. So my own giftings and strength is not going to get us anywhere. It's not going to keep me on the field. So I think humility to trust the Lord. Second thing I'd add is rest. I heard J.D. Greer say to us once, God will do more with your six days of work and one day of rest than you'll do in seven on your own. And so I think taking that time to rest and to really seek the Lord and abide in him deeply, to mm-hmm. energize, to be pushed out to those extreme places the rest of the week. Yeah, that's helpful. Ray, you've been out and you've seen some interesting things. What's been the craziest, most shocking thing that you have seen or experienced? It can be funny or it could be serious, kind of whichever direction you want to take it. So it's a little bit, every day is kind of crazy as for explorers, <laughs> but uh, one of the funnest, coolest things really, uh, more than kind of crazy, I, I grew up in the country there in East Tennessee, so 
wasn't totally foreign to me, but uh, I got to spend a couple of days with some shepherds and uh, we uh, pushed some goats up a mountain and back down. And while we were gone, one one of the goats started to give birth and its baby got bridged. And so uh, its feet was hanging out. We had to yank her out of there. And uh, my national partner, it was that was his limit. So he had to go on back to the camp, but we kept on going, made it through the rest of the day. And so uh, something that's funny about it is they like the medical staff preaches to us, do not touch any of the animals, especially, you know, don't touch the dogs. And so I really threw, uh, I threw that recommendation further than uh, Joe Milton can throw a football. Go Vols. Wow. Ray, I love the image of a Tennessee boy, a Tennessee Vol out there in the middle of South Asia, somewhere on a mountainside, yanking the legs of of a baby goat out of the out of the mother. I think that's an incredible image and picture and I'm glad you were able to take a little bit of East Tennessee to South Asia. That's that's an awesome awesome story. Will, you know, you you we mentioned in the introduction that you and your family have been there for over a decade, almost 12 years now. When you think back on your time, you know, what's one thing that you wished you knew before you arrived? I think I wish that we had understood that culture shock is not a one-time thing and it's cyclical. It it happens when you least expect it, when you think it, or even when you know it's coming, as opposed to just being something that hits you once. Like on a short-term trip, you hit culture shock and then you push through and you're good. But long-term, it's it, it comes regularly. And we weren't initially prepared for that, uh, but thankfully the Lord's been good. And so my wife and I have never hit culture shock on the same day. And so we've been able to encourage each other through that. And typically when culture shock hits, uh, it never fails that the Lord uh, does something miraculous and amazing to show you that he's still there. He's he's in charge mm. and you just trust him even when it's tough. Mm. You know, I used to live in, in Alabama and one time I was traveling on a trip to South Asia and someone told me, and I think they're right. They said, if you take the, the worldview of someone in the state of Alabama, the typical worldview of somebody in Alabama, and you try to think through what is the most opposite worldview and culture that you could find from Alabama, it would be somewhere in South Asia. And and I think they're right. Like the way that people view the world, the way they think about things, the way they conduct their lives, there's just so many different things. It's an, a, an assault on the senses. So I appreciate you mentioning just some of the challenge and the reality that's, that's there with culture shock as we think about cross-cultural work and people jumping over cultural and linguistic and geographic barriers to take the gospel to those who need to hear it. Culture shock is one of those big realities. Kind of connected with that, I would love for you to share. If somebody said, hey, I'm, I'm going to South Asia next month or next year, what's one resource that you might recommend to learn more about the context, the culture, the work there? What's one resource that immediately comes to your mind, Will? I think I would recommend the book Foreign to Familiar because it was a, one of the books I read that really kind of helped distinguish between, like you said, what is life like in America and Alabama? versus a different culture, hot versus cold, and the different distinctions that come with that. I think that's helpful. As always, the Bollywood Hindi film industry is great to get a feel for it, but there's so many. I I don't have time in this lightning round to answer all my favorite ones. So we'll just go with the the book Foreign to Familiar. I appreciate you mentioning that book. If you, those of you who are listening are not familiar with it, it's Sarah Lanier, Foreign to Familiar, and really small, easy read she does a great job of just kind of breaking down some of the the different ways that cultures are organized and structured and some of the challenging things that you would see between, you know, time 
time versus task and relational versus task and some of these kinds of things. So really helpful, helpful book that I would encourage for everybody. All right. Final question. Uh, I want to hear from both of you. We'll hear first from Ray and then we'll give Will the last word. Ray, how would you encourage people who are working in difficult or challenging environments? What would you say to them to encourage them? Yes. Yeah, so I just, uh, as I thought about this, uh, I think the what I want to point people to is uh, just back to scripture and uh passage has been very encouraging to me recently is uh second Corinthians four, seven through uh, chapter five, 10. Uh, I won't read all that, but just the jars of clay passage and uh, the hell of dwelling that we're, we're living in tents here on earth. And uh, in a very real sense, you know, uh, explorers live out of their backpacks for two years. And so, trying to get a good understanding what that what that might be like to live in a tent a very temporary home and so just to, to encourage folks as we extend all these difficulties and ever-changing environment that you're going through just keeping in mind that we're doing this for god to be glorified and that it's it's only temporary this is only our temporary home we're we're running towards our eternal home with god and glory so mm, thanks for sharing that ray Will, what would you say to somebody who's working in a, a difficult environment? What would you say to encourage them? I would go to Acts 17, verses 25 through 27, hmm. where Paul is speaking to the, the Areopagus there. And he just says this, from one man, he's made every nation to live over the whole earth and determine their appointed times and boundaries where they live. And he did this so they might seek him, might seek God. Perhaps they might reach out and find him because he's not far from each one of us. That that passage has been instrumental in helping me in, in hard times early in our career where we were not seeing much fruit, struggling through. And, and that was shared with me, that verse, just remembering that it's the Lord who put the people where they are and the Lord's called you there. And he, is, he has put you there to bring the gospel to them because he is not far from them and he wants them to, to fall after him. And we trust his promises that we see in Revelation and just to keep laboring. Keep laboring, be faithful, and the Lord will bring the fruit in his time. Hmm. Amen. Will, I might ask you to do one last thing for me. It really wasn't on the list of questions that I'd sent you in advance, but would just love for you to kind of take an opportunity to maybe just make a small pitch for why people should consider Project 3000. If you were, if you had a room full of college students that were getting ready to graduate and you would say, hey, we want you guys to consider this, why should they consider Project 3000? I think for me, it's just, I go back to that the earlier statistic, there's 3,000 people groups in the world today that as far as we know, there's no access to the gospel, no missionary presence, or even no information on them. And here we are 2,000 years after the Great Commission, and that's still, that, that's still the way. Like, It's time, right, Paul? It's time to put our, our energy and our efforts, as our IMB leadership has said, it's time to go after them and to mm -hmm. pursue them. And so anyone who wants information, if you go to imb.org on the front homepage, the Great Pursuit is we're calling it. And so looking at Ray and with our other ex, uh, explorers, I mean, what better way to do after college? Give your two years, put a backpack on, go to the extreme places, working with national partners, and maybe the Lord will use you to bring the gospel to people who have never heard it. And in the case of our explorers, we've seen that when, when we go, sometimes the Lord brings the fruit, uh, even if it's other near culture churches who catch a vision and they say, we'll take ownership of reaching those people and we can mark explored and then eventually mark them engaged. And so if I'm speaking to a college student, I'm just like, look, the Lord's calling us to go. He's called us to go and not to sit. Your work, your job, you'll be there. Your family may not like it. When I did my two-year term, my family didn't like it, 
but what an opportunity you have at this stage of your life, at this stage of where we are in world missions history to be the beginning of the end of seeing no place left, no peoples left on earth who haven't had a chance to hear the gospel. Mm. Amen. Ray and Will, thank you both for your faithfulness. Thank you for taking some time to have this conversation with me today. Thank you for Thanks, your, Dr. Uh, having us. Yeah, to hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thank you again for listening to this episode. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu bgs, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.